Welcome to Hit It, the Water Skier Magazine podcast, powered by USA Water Ski and Wake Sports, where we go on the water with some of the top athletes from three events, show skiing, barefooting, and everything in between. This episode is brought to you by Visit Central Florida, the water ski capital of the world. I'm your host, Tyler Boyd. Welcome back to Hit It. In this episode, I got the opportunity to catch up with Marcus Brown. Marcus is one of the most recognizable people in the sport of water skiing. He's certainly a unique talent. From athlete to filmmaker to rolling out the flow point method, there's a lot of things to cover in this episode, and we even get down to the core of who we are as water skiers. There's some old stories and familiar names that pop up, and I think you'll find that really exciting. Marcus challenges us with his knowledge, his experience, and his perspectives. And I think after listening to this episode, you might approach skiing a little bit differently. With that said, let's catch up with Marcus Brown. All right. Well, we're in the virtual studio for the Hit It podcast with Marcus Brown. Marcus, welcome to the podcast. Tyler, thanks for having me, dude. This is fun. This is awesome. Hey, dude. It was one of those things when we were going to launch the podcast, we were talking about the format, what we wanted to cover. And one of the number one things on my priority list was to interview Marcus Brown. So welcome. I don't know. That makes me feel kind of weird because I, I feel like I'm just a person. But it is cool to have, it is cool to, to hear that from somebody like yourself who's doing some really cool stuff in the sport. You, you've obviously been integral in it for a long time. So yeah, that, those are kind words, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, dude. It's, it's, it's crazy to be able to catch up with you on this episode. I was thinking back about Really, when the first time our paths crossed was in the Western region. I was a kid growing up in Colorado, uh, early 90s, and we, we got to see quite a bit of good skiing in Colorado, uh, really good slalom skiing there. And once in a while, Nick Parsons would jump over from Utah and he would ski in the early bird Grand Junction tournament in Colorado. But it really wasn't until the Western regionals would come around that we were going, wow, the exposure to the skiing here, it's a big region. It was really a special region to grow up in. And we came across people like yourself and Terry Winter. I mean, that's when it started for me. Yeah. Well, that's cool. We, I know we talked offline about some early regionals, like 94-ish, 95 back at Copper Lake. But but the re, honestly, we'll get to this, but I think regionals might be one of the most important events. Obviously, nationals is a huge event. For the kids, they get to see friends from all over the country. For the adults, they get to see, you know, friends that they only see maybe once a year at that event. But the regionals is a little more int- intimate. And like you said, for, for Terry and I, being one, a couple of the only pros from the Western region, um, the regionals was kind of a fun little highlight. We got to go and hang out. In hindsight, it was, it was more about the people. But in the moment, we're like, oh, yeah, we get to go show how good we are, you know. And that, that was kind of that old – or young kind of teenage mentality that was shining through but it was a those were fun times those regional events were really fun and i do think maybe we'll get to this i do think that is the ingredient or the recipe for growing the sport again is making those those local events and those regional events more enticing more fun and and building the community at that level again well, and it was one of those things during that period of time. I remember the water, uh, the regional guide would come out, right? And you didn't have the internet. You couldn't see where the tournaments was going to go. So you had to wait for the regional guide. And one of the things that was always in the regional guide was you had state records. You had the mm-hmm. regional tournament record. You had 
the region record. Uh, but at that particular time, you're 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 becoming your own as an athlete in the sport. You're chasing down records set by Carl Roberge at that time. And the history is really rich. Uh, you being from California of the athletes that had come before you out of California. What was it like growing up in that environment? Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. That was I mean, so Terry and I, uh, Terry Winter and I became kind of friends when we were like 10. And now we're, you know, we're, we're, it's been two, three decades later, and we're still good friends. And so we, we, we kind of started out, like you said, chasing these big names as juniors, you know, Carl Roberge had the record of three at 35 off in junior boys. And that was ages 13 and under, um, actually 12 and under. So at 34 miles an hour. So that was, that was a big, a big a goal to, to try to chase. We never got there. Our, my best was maybe two or two and a quarter at 35 off in uh, boys two. What, what is boys two now? But, um, you know, Bob and Crystal Point, Dina, Dina Brush, Dina Mapple. There were some big names and we would go ski Berkeley Aquatic Park tournaments down near the, the San Francisco, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge. And that, there's a lot of history there. I think the Cal Cup was maybe one of the first pro events maybe like 1972, 73, you know, we're 50 years on from that. We still have pro water ski events. They're different than they used to be in the eighties and nineties when I was a kid wanting to be a pro, but the original pro events started on the West coast, I think Cal cup, Berkeley aquatic park. And so there was a lot of history and there was a lot of marks to chase. And that was a big part of our, our growing up, you know, Terry and I, as far as juniors, but um, in hindsight, you know, there was a lot, a lot more to skiing than just trying to break records or, or get podiums. Um, but it was always nice to have that carrot out there and to, to be kind of part of that Western region or that, that yeah. West Coast heritage. Yeah, that's cool that you brought up the Cal Cup. I obviously never got to go to the Cal Cup, but my mom, Trudy Speak, who uh, would go from Colorado to end up skiing out at Horton Lake. I mean, she talks about the Cal Cup all the time. So that's a really cool thing that you brought that up. Yeah. And also over in that region, and I know that was a big influence on your skiing, was Mike Siderhout. We talked about Mike a little bit offline. I mean, we were talking about one-handed gates. Here's a guy doing a one-handed gate before there was even pre-gates into the course, somehow yeah. figured out the timing. Uh, yeah. Talk a little about uh, Mike and his influence when you were a younger athlete on your skiing. Yeah, so, I mean, just to, just to keep it short, because I know we don't have a whole lot of time. The thing that's unique about Mike Siderhoud is he has a, a incredible passion for the sport. Um, he obviously did really well, you know, multiple time world champion. That passion shows through because he's a good human. I think that's, that's what I would like to drive home about Mike Siderhoud and a lot of others, you know, Bob LaPointe, Bob's a great friend of mine, Wade Cox. So these, these idols, these heroes, these icons that I used to watch on TV have now become great friends. And what I respect about them the most, you know, especially Mike, is not what they accomplished on the water, but how they still are off the water, who they become as humans, how they were transformed by the sport. So for Mike, he gave his time to Terry and I. This guy was a visionary. He was passionate. He was a visionary. He thought outside the box. He introduced us to physics, how skiing actually works. And you've got a lot of people nowadays claiming you know this is this is how you water ski this is the technical aspect this is how you do it right but nobody's giving credence nobody's paying respect to the what i would say the original guy that that that, that opened pandora's box if you will he was mike was the guy who went from 
instead of looking at Crystal Point and saying, okay, Crystal Point's the best in the world. He does this with his handle or he does this with his head or he does this with his shoulders at the finish of the turn. So I'm going to try that. That kind of anecdotal kind of copy and paste mentality that skiing had, I think, forever. Mike Siderhoud was the first person, in my opinion, who started looking at water skiing analytically, trying to deconstruct it. And also, not just that, that was 50% of the equation. The other 50% was he was willing to share this knowledge with anybody. And he did. He, he drove an hour and a half daily to come coach Terry and I at our lake and just give and give and give. I'm forever indebted to that guy um, because he sparked in me this analytical approach to slalom skiing, this deconstruction, looking at how things work. Yes, Jeff Rogers looks different than, you know, Manon Costard or looks different than, you know, Andy Mapple, but they're all doing fundamental things the same, uh, different fundamental things, but they're all, they can all be broken into like these basic rules and tenets. And Mike was the guy who, who sparked that for, for me. And I would dare say he's the guy who changed the industry. And now people understand that if you want to accelerate on a slalom ski, you know, you got to be stacked and over your feet and you got to be moving dynamically ahead of your feet slightly. A lot of people get that now. They wouldn't have gotten that if it wasn't for Mike Siderhoud. Well, I can't think of a better way. And we we're going to transition to this at some point into talking about what you're doing now with Flow Point Method. But that sounds like it would be a pretty good starting spot on, on what you're doing. But let's, let's touch real quick again. You as the athlete, 14 years old, you go out, you're jumping, you completely shatter your femur, I believe. At that point, is it, hey, I don't really want to do the three-event thing, or were you always trying to gravitate towards slalom? That's a good question. I think my family was always in slalom. My brother, my older brother, he's nine years older than me, and he, uh, he got us into the sport. If it wasn't for, for Matt Brown doing his first tournament, we were just recreational weekend wallies. And he, he got us into competitive skiing. If it wasn't for him, never would have had this life I have, whatever this life is. And so slalom was kind of always front and center. But, you know, by being friends with Terry Winter, he was doing three events. And Terry was really proficient at three events. And so I'm like, yeah, I, you know, tricks, uh, whatever. It, it's, it's tricks. I, I wish I would have cared a little bit more. But jump looked fascinating. So after I broke my femur jumping, first tournament of the year, I was like, you know what? I'm pretty good at slalom. Let's see how far I can go with that. I'm, I started late with jump. So I just kind of let it go. I mean, I always have a huge respect for jumping. Those guys, I think, are, they're the tip of the spear. If our sport's going to kind of recharge itself in any way and become popular again, whatever popular means, it's going to be on the backs of jumping and tricking and slaloming. But I think jumping is like that elevator pitch. It's like, yeah, but yeah, we, we, we know base jumping school, but have you seen this? Somebody's right, jumping right. 312 feet and his name's Freddy Krueger. And he's not a, he's not a spring chicken anymore. Like, and he's still doing it or Scott Ellis, you know, or whatever. It's just jumping is kind of the conversation starter. So, so yeah, I just was like, you know what? I'm a better slalom skier. I think I'll stick with that. See well, that and goes. then you, and then you end up sticking with it. And then 2002, you basically explode onto the scene when you win internationally the University World Championships. And for those of those tuning in that don't know much about collegiate skiing, uh, it's a very special place for you as well because you're an inductee in 2019 to the Collegiate Water Ski Hall of Fame, which is a huge honor. But the, the level of competition, it might as well be a professional tournament. Uh, I was curious to know when I was looking back at that, 
Who who did you face off with in 2002 at that Worlds as far as competition? I mean, there were, there were uh, dude, you're stretching my brain. That's already been 20 years. I can't believe that. <laughs> but, um, but there were some, obviously, like Joy Blakely and Matt Kermy was there, Justin Allen. But I think there, so there was a, um, God, George Hatsos, I think. Some, uh, there was a Greek skier. There was a, I think uh, Igor was there. Morozov, actually, yep. was a long skier. So there was some pretty good competition. But what's interesting is that was at the location in China of the 2005 world championships, the elite worlds. Um, so when I got to go back in 2005, I'm like, Oh, I got this place figured out. Like I, I have a feel pretty good about this, but in China, they, they don't keep things the same very long. It was like a whole new lake. They'd redug it. They'd build this million dollar pavilion at the end of the lake. And um, it was a different experience in 2005 at the elite worlds, which was actually my first elite worlds, 2005. Wow. But Oh, two was fun. That was where I got to, I really got to become uh, friends with Regina. That's when, you know, I kind of developed a friendship with Regina and some of the other folks on the team. And obviously Jeff Saturday was, has been integral in the sport for a lot of years. And I, I got to know him, Corey Picos. He was the team coach. I got to know him really well. When I look back on water ski experiences, it is about community. Again, it's not about how good you are, in my opinion. It's about community. And it's about the transformation of the individual. That's way more important than whatever accolades, medals, performances you can pull off in the moment. And, and that, that 2002 trip was kind of the first time where, and my parents got to go and my nephew got to go travel internationally. It might've been one of the only times I got to travel internationally with my folks who were the whole reason that I was a water skier. They supported me from the shadows every step of the way. So yeah, man, I actually, now that I think about it, that was probably a pivotal moment in my career well, yeah it sounds like it was extremely powerful you fast forward to 2005 in 2005 you win your first professional tournament down at Moomba as we're recording this Moomba's going on with the junior competition well by the time this podcast is released we'll have those results but that's a special place to ski because not only are you skiing against the best in the world that go to that tournament you're also skiing against the elements so it's a one-two punch tell us a little bit about winning that tournament Okay, so the Moom, the Moomba tournament goes back to the actually 2002 China University Worlds because I remember sitting in the back of the bus. We're coming back from dinner, back to the lake, to the hotel, and, and I'm sitting next to Regina. We're talking, and she was like already kind of climbing the ladder in 2002 and becoming one of the top females in the world. And I just, and she was young still. And I said, like, how, do you, how are you doing it? You know, I, I still feel like I'm a long ways off from that. And she just kind of said something to the effect that like, you just got to believe it. It's just a mindset. Like you're already there. You just kind of got to believe in yourself. And so two years later, the 2004 university worlds, um, I blew my ankle out uh, for like the fourth or fifth time in training, didn't get to ski in the event. So that was kind of a bummer. I remember being at the banquet and uh, I was a little bit drunk and I was talking I was talking above my pay grade to the, uh, the event organizers for Moomba, um, the Morris family. And I said to Russell, I said, it was Russell. I said, um, I was, I was, you know, cocky for some reason. I said, I'm going to come to Moomba next year. And I'm going to win, you know, like just out of, out of the blue. And they said, they laughed. They're like, you don't get Moomba. It's nobody does that. You, you have to pay your dues at Moomba before you can do anything, you know, close to getting on the podium. But yeah, Mumu was a great trip for us. Terry Winter um, had a big loss, lost his wife 
about 14 days before we left. So I called him. I said, hey, I think I got us in Moomba. Do you want to go? And he was living in Oregon. It was cold. It was February. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So he came to California. We literally, I think we had like nine or 10 days to train on the water. And we go to Moomba and um, didn't know what to expect. Beautiful venue, downtown Melbourne, Australia. Beautiful city, the Yarra River, the prestige. I'd seen Maple ski on the Yarra on TV. I'd seen, you know, my old buddy, Jason Predis do really well. And there's just a lot of history. And so, yeah, you're kind of starstruck when you're there and there's, you know, thousands of people on the shore, but um, I just kind of, I felt like I got lucky. Like I just kind of got handed good breaks along the way. And I was in a runoff in the finals with Steve Cockrum and um, Ralphie, as we call him. And it was my first runoff, my first chance to win an event. And uh, I got lucky, went out, ran 38 tail current and took the win. And it was a very pivotal moment in my career. Number one, because I realized, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm made of the stuff that sometimes if I get lucky, I can actually win and be the best in the world on that day. And I remember congratulations from, you know, like, like June Asher and some other friends coming over and giving me hugs. And then honestly, about, I've told the story before, but about 10 minutes after winning Moomba, it just hit me. It was like a huge letdown. And I realized in that moment, I've got to find a different reason to ski other than simply winning. Because winning is not what I thought it was. For me personally, it's different for everybody. But for me personally, I realized that is, that is an empty bag at the end of the rainbow for me. There's no gold there. It's fun to win. It's a good challenge. It's a good carrot to use to make yourself better. But in that moment was kind of, I think, the spark of like a couple of years later, the face-to-face -to -face tour and trying to give back. And then obviously, you know, Flowpoint TV and now Flowpoint Method, like everything I've done since winning Moomba I felt like was the seed was planted in that moment, 10 minutes after getting off the Yarra River, still dripping wet, realizing that winning wasn't everything for me. So that, I mean, that is powerful, Marcus. I mean, looking back on that, you, you have this realization. I, I would think you're back on the plane. You're back to the United States. You're at that point, you're the best skier in the world. I mean, you just won the, the, the professional event that everybody was chasing. And now you're having kind of these thoughts. Walk us through the next couple of years. Like, how do you how do you make this transition? If that was kind of what you weren't expecting, are you trying to find yourself and where you belong in the sport? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't I don't really know the best way to 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 get it all out there, but it it was it was a little difficult. Like, obviously, I still was trying to to do good and and win and train as hard as I could. I had to have an ankle reconstruction in '06 because my ankle was pretty bad after. Uh, after that 05 season, I did pretty well then, but I needed to get a reconstruction. So that set me back. And then my career was kind of a history of setbacks. If you go back, 94, uh, broke my femur. 97, ripped rip my, my right hand, my right fingers off. 99, blew my ankle out. Uh, 2000, blew my ankle out. 2001, blew my ankle out. Uh, 03, did my ankle again. 04, and then 05, had to have a reconstruction. Um, so it, it was just like, these things, there was always a hurdle to overcome. And I did get to the place ultimately where, and, my, and then my back obviously was, was something that was acting up. So I got to the place probably 07, 08, where um, I looked at skiing in the, in the way that when I came off the water after a practice ride or a tournament ride, even if the score wasn't what I wanted, 
I realized, number one, I'm not my score. I have intrinsic value. I have value as a human beyond how good I can perform that day. That, that performance doesn't define me. And then number two, if, I can, if I'm healthy, and I didn't tear anything up, and I can live to ski another day, whether that's tomorrow or next week, that was a win. So the win for me was being able to show up, come back off the water, and be healthy enough to ski another day. Because the skiing was the fun thing. That was where I got to experience things I couldn't experience any other way. That's ultimately, I think, why we ski. Because the sensation, if you think back to the first time you ski, the first times you ski, the sensation of gliding on the water, the sensation of creating a sharp turn and feeling the whip from the boat and that casting out and that freedom and that, I don't even know how to explain it. There's no words. That's just, that feeling is, is unique to each human. And that's why water skiing is so special to me because it's about that direct experience as a human. You can't explain it to anybody. You can look somebody in the eyes after they've run a PB or after you've run a PB and you can just look at them and smile and they know, and you know that you just had a moment and that's all that matters. That's it. That's enough. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that the, the um, water skiers that I've met that grew up 60s, 70s, 80s, when all you could really do is pick up a magazine, see someone doing it, or if it was on TV, you'd see somebody skiing. They always really referred to exactly what you said. It was just like, how can I glide across the water? That looks so cool. And even, even, you know, as the years that I've been skiing and you've been skiing, there's always that we're in search of almost like in, in the surfing community, the perfect wave, the perfect turn, the perfect course. And when you, when you link up with that, then, then I think you have the flow point of which leads us right into your flow point TV. Now, flow point TV, Marcus, I've tried to pick up a camera. I, I feel like I'm creative to do things. And then I compare myself to what you put out there. It's unbelievable. The amount of editing time, I can't even imagine that you put into these, the shots that you're able to get, the narrative overlays that you've been able to bring to the sport. I was on YouTube today and, and you've published over 120 videos on Flowpoint TV. So there's a ton of content out there. But tell us a little bit about that. You're gonna, you, you get into this place in your career obviously the back injury being the big one to, to put down the ski and to pick up a camera. Well, yeah. So I'll, I'll just say this front and center. I'm not a Zen master. I'm never going to be a Zen master, but I, I, I aspire to, to try to just move in that direction. And so to answer your question, I, I, I'm self-taught with the film thing. Ne- never, never really took any schooling, just YouTube videos and talking to people. Um, but to back up, it's really a function of, I think how I've become as an individual, I'll give you an example. I just was watching, I've been digitizing old footage from like the eighties and nineties, just old tapes. My parents had, I've been putting them on hard drives. I watched a tournament where I was commentating as like an 11 year old. And I was, I was an idiot. I sounded so terrible. I don't don't know. I had no business being on the microphone. I know you appreciate this. That's why I'm bringing it up. I don't know what the hell my parents were letting me do beyond get on the microphone, but, but I just like, I just didn't really care, I guess, what other people thought or how stupid I sounded. And I think, you know, number one, I appreciate the friends I still have because they can see through that and they, 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 they accept me for who I am, I guess. But number two, with the film thing, that's what it took. It's just like, okay, I'm going to make a fool of myself with this, but to learn it, I'm going to have to make mistakes. And I, I had injured my back. I came back, actually, the Russia Worlds in 2011 on the, on, in Dubna, on, on the Volga River. That was, my flow, that was my flow point. 
moment. In the finals, nobody had run 39 yet. And I was maybe six C. There's like five guys after me. And I, I got I went out and ran 39 in the finals. And I don't still to this day really remember it, but I just remember that I was completely absorbed in the moment. I was there. I wasn't thinking, I wasn't trying. I was I was just riding the wave of existence. And that was kind of the spark for this idea of the flow point. And so yeah, came home after that event. Two weeks later, got hurt at a at a record tournament. Will Bush was driving. And I just was like, you know what? I gotta do something when my back heals until my back heals up. And I picked up the camera and it's just you gotta have a passion for things. I think that's what it comes down to. I, I didn't know anything about filmmaking, but I just had a, a an idea and a desire and a passion. And so Flow Point TV was kind of my effort to rebrand the sport however i could to make it look cool again terry winter and I, and I really think you've done that i mean I, I looking at yeah i mean you not only have you covered collegiate nationals you've done nationals uh on on our level uh we we're talking about the regionals into the nationals you've done the worlds multiple times i i know the one that you'd put out paradise lost that was impactful for me because I grew up with a lot of those clips you had in the introduction and, and really trying to find a way to push and grow the sport. And um, like I say, if anybody ever has any questions, I pretty much point them to flow point just because the narrative is so, so good. The content's so rich. And I think you being a athlete has brought certain angles and a perspective that somebody with maybe that skill set would have never been able to bring into skiing if they were just trained as a photographer. Yeah, well, I think my strength was that I, I knew, I felt like I knew what looked cool and I knew what parts of skiing needed to be highlighted. And then I just was kind of muddling through, like learning how to operate a camera, learning how to edit. But yeah, I mean, the filmmaking thing and storytelling thing, my dad had a camera in the 80s when nobody else had video cameras. So I have all this footage from when I was a kid and I have all these memories of my dad carrying this camera around with like a suitcase recorder slung over his shoulder. And I think that had a huge impact on me, planted the seed to like be, be, um, be interested and be, be curious about this thing, filmmaking. And now, obviously, it's, it's blown up with, with the advent of social media. Literally 15 years ago, I, don't, I think Facebook started maybe 15 years ago. So in right. the last 15 years, things have just exploded as, as it relates to media. So I just feel lucky to be kind of in the mix in that respect. Um, and you say collegiate skiing. I just got done filming the collegiate nationals put out or editing the collegiate nationals. I put out the, the United by water episode a couple of weeks ago. And I, I sat there after I put it out, winter conference in the Midwest happened and they, you know, Christy Kingsmill uh, FaceTimed me in and I got to watch the reaction as the kids were watching this episode. And it hit me like the reason that I was I'm doing, I'm still, I care about collegiate skiing. And the reason I'm doing flow point TV is because there's stories that need to be told. I think humanity, we, we hang, we hang everything we have on stories, you know, stories trump everything else, good stories, especially. And so for me, my oldest brother or my older brother going to the first collegiate nationals that he ever went to. And I got to tag along as like a nine-year-old at Bell Aqua Lakes that imprinted me i already said he he got us into skiing but this is like five years after his first tournament he went to his first collegiate nationals i still remember the vibe to this day 
they they produced a video like an hour-long video about this collegiate nationals and i used to watch that it's like top gun soundtrack they totally like pirated the music but it was so sick and i was like nine ten year old watching this video i'm like i want to do that and so i think now i my belief is collegiate skiing is is the future of the sport and that's why we've you know with ho's support we've done i don't i think three collegiate national episodes now because those kids a lot of them learn to ski in college how great is that they learn to love getting drug around behind the boat. They learn, they are introduced to that in college. And a lot of them go on to buy skis and buy gloves and buy boats. And so it's such an important part of the community. I think the the greater ski community is just now starting to focus on collegiate skiing and realize this is like, this is the deal. Like just the other day, I saw Radar has a collegiate program now. Like, that's awesome. Like the more the merrier. HO has been doing that for, for years. Now Radar's on the bandwagon. I, I think it's cool that, it's just a testament to how cool collegiate skiing is and how important it is as a as a as a channel for growth for the future of the sport. So well, and, and there's such a wide spectrum when you come to the talent level. It could have been that person that just walked by a table that they were advertising at a university, hey, join the ski team. All of a sudden they end up at the nationals that year, maybe just trying to go through the course. And then you've got someone like Dorian Llewellyn that's jumping 180, 190 feet. So they get that exposure on both sides. And that's one of the things that when I look back on it, uh, of all of the things that I've done in skiing, I, I go back to those collegiate days. I'm right there with you. It, it was an incredible time. I, I skied with incredible people. And then the camaraderie that we had within our region and the other schools of those tournaments, you know, staying the night and, you know, camping out and just having an awesome time is, is really when you go back to where, where our parents were introduced to the sport, that's kind of what it was, right? It was, hey, we're going to go down to the public lake because there was no man-made lakes and it, we're just going to camp out and have a tournament for the weekend. Kind of goes back to those roots. It, it does, for sure. And I think you hit the nail on the head for, for me going to Chico State and skiing with a bunch of kids from Chico State in college was eye-opening because up to that point, I was trying to be a pro and like go to pro events. And I was doing okay, but then suddenly I'm hanging out with all these people who some of them have never jumped. Some have never skied a slalom course. Some aren't even running their pass at our tournaments. And yet we're trying to make it to nationals. And it just opened my eyes to this whole new approach and perspective on skiing. And I see it now with like a Jamie Bull. Obviously worked with Jamie Bull quite a bit. You know, in the first year in college, she's like, I don't know about this whole, you know, spirit thing or about, you know, I like she's trying to keep her game face on so she can like break a national record in collegiate skiing. And then by the end of it, now she's, she's loosened up. She's realized, okay, there's a little bit more depth to skiing than I thought. And I can like let my hair down and just chill. And it's just another tournament, you know, and not, not be so uptight about it. Collegiate skiing does, a, it creates a lot of positive change, I think, in the sport for sure. Awesome. Well, I definitely want to highlight this, what you're doing now with the flow point method. We talked a little bit about uh, you know, Mike Siderhad was able to really look at what skiers were actually doing rather than just looking at individual turns. Let's say he's looking at the physics of the matter, the, the engineering, all the things that touch the sport. It's really a holistic approach. And that's what it looks like you're trying to tackle here with the flow point method. Yeah. So, so there's multiple layers to the onion, right? So at the technical level, which is what I care about, there's, there's, there's not a common vocabulary. And there's not a, a common language with which we can talk about skiing. So 
actually it's been tried it's been tried and attempted before and you know cider howden and we tried it with west coast slalom and that got kind of hijacked in a way and kind of you know the waters got muddied if you will and then in recent years the the denali guys are trying to to create kind of a grand unified theory kind of hijacking the term from you know from physics actually from trying to unify classical physics and quantum physics but with the method that was my goal originally was like i was hyper focused on skiing and and I, I don't hear people talking about skiing properly at the beginner level intermediate level or even at the pro level like to this day i still think there's huge misunderstandings in how people believe skiing works the technical side of skiing so for instance it's the beliefs matter i think beliefs matter above all if you believe the right things and if you have the right concept even if it's just the most basic concept because you're not a very analytical person you still have to have a concept in your head of how skiing works and if you have the right concept versus kind of a, a anecdotal concept that doesn't really work then when you make mistakes you'll know how to correct them because you'll know what mistakes you're making. And so that's really the angle I was taking. But Jenny is thinking bigger than me. So peel back, you know, different uh, layer of the onion. She comes from the CrossFit kind of fitness, personal training background. She's got 15 plus years. Um, she's got a degree in it. She's got a nutritional therapy practitioner degree. So she understands the, the nutrition side of it. And she was a elite level CrossFitter, sixth in the world in CrossFit. You know, that's like, I, that's, that's way bigger than whatever I did in water skiing. And so she's like, Hey, why don't we actually teach people how to take care of their bodies, the actual right training protocol for specifically for skiing so that they'll get the most out of their time. If they're going to spend 30 minutes in the gym, or they're going to spend an hour, whatever it is there, we want them to get the most out of that because we know everybody's time is short. And then let's, let's talk about the nutrition. Let's talk about the mindset. We've got Matteo Luziri uh, creating some mindset content. So we've, we've really tried to address the water skier from every angle possible. And our belief is there's no silver bullet, but if you, if you incrementally improve two or three different elements of your, of your human, of you as a human, you'll become exponentially a better skier and you'll be, you'll be healthier. You'll be able to do it longer. You'll have less chronic pain. You'll be able to actually understand where the chronic pain is coming from. And if you, if you buy into some of my technical stuff, um, you'll be taxing your body less and you'll be able to ski more passes, more sets. So Talk to us a little bit about that definition, going back to that, because it sounds like at the core of this, there's, there's a philosophy, right? There's a philosophy in how you're approaching this holistic method. It used to be we'd go ski with somebody. We go down to Florida. We we say, oh, we I really got something out of that, but not so much out of that. Maybe I go to, to the West Coast ski with somebody there. They may say something a little bit different. You can see where terms kind of intermingle. Somebody may say load. Somebody may say stack. All these terms that skiers come up with. I mean, I'm even guilty of saying it on the microphone when I'm announcing because that's just how we talk to each other. But a lot of times, if we really dig into that, what are we really saying? And can we come to a definition that we all agree on? And I think that's kind of what you're hinting at here. Yeah, so exactly right. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, if, if, if we're sitting around a circle, we have 20 people and we all speak a slightly different language, you know, maybe somebody's from deep South Kentucky, somebody's from, you know, Florida, somebody's from New York, but, but imagine way, way more different dialects to where you can barely even understand what that person's saying. 
at the end of the day, if you sit around a fire and talk to 20 different people, you're probably going to think you guys are on 20 different pages. But in reality, it's just the language barriers that create the perception that people are talking and saying different things. And so rule number one, we're, we're just trying to, to kind of create a common, so I created a water ski pyramid with nine elements. At the base, the base element is athletic stance, I call it. Uh, that can be stack, that can be alignment, but we're trying to start creating a common verbiage or vocabulary to your point so that we can all start to realize, okay, we are all saying very similar things for the most part. And I think that's very important because the, the real focus of the method is not only giving somebody tools on how to take care of their body, tools on how to move better in the gym, whether it's rowing, whether it's doing a clean, whether it's doing a push-up, whether it's doing an air squat, but also giving them the tools that they can then apply to their own skiing in the way that they best know how. Uh, we're not necessarily telling you this is how you should ski. We're actually uncovering some of the basic fundamental tenets of skiing. We're uncovering some basic concepts so that whatever resonates with you, Tyler, or with Lee Sheldrake, or with John Horton, you can take those, two, those parts of the method and say, okay, I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to apply this to my own skiing and have a better understanding of, of what your strengths are as an individual on the water and also what your weaknesses are. So you can aim at your, some of your strengths and aim at some of your weaknesses. And then, oh, by the way, we've got all kinds of off-water stuff that you can dig into on the platform via the app on your iPhone or your phone or on the, on the website that suddenly you can start putting all these puzzle pieces together and say, okay, I don't have range of motion in my ankle. No wonder I can't get my body in alignment when the sure. boat starts to hit me. Like literally that's that like ankle dorsiflexion, the ability to flex your knee forward over your toe is 50% of people's problem. That's holding wow. them back. And most people don't know it. They think, oh, that's just a bygone. That's just a small, tiny little, little newsome, nuisance of a thing I don't need to worry about. But really, that could be like 99% of people's problems. Some people wow, that's are. incredible. Yeah, I, and I've never really even thought of that myself. But yeah, if I could improve my flexibility at all, I think it would be better. But specifically improving flexibility to help the stance, the core stance, yes. which you stand on a ski. And the other thing you mentioned, you know, Jenny really pushing it with the nutrition and then also with the gym work. I think that space in the sport of water skiing for a long period of time has been overlooked. I know I did not grow up really in an environment where I was in tune with nutrition or what I was doing in the gym was more about how much I could bench press or how many reps I could get, but it wasn't geared towards, is this going to help my skiing? Yep. And that's exactly what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to to have sports specific workouts and training protocols that are simple. They're easily easy and effective. They're right on an app on your phone. You can access them any time of the day, but things that actually make a difference. And to your point, we believe that the nutrition and the fitness approach to skiing, the off water approach to skiing is probably the lowest hanging fruit. In other words, if I were to come to, to a, an, a typical skier and they were to, they were to ask me, Hey, What's the single biggest thing that's going to make the most improvement for me, for my skiing? In other words, what's going to help me get more buoys? What's going to help me get more buoys consistently? I would probably say some sort of off-water sports-specific training program. That's literally it. Because a lot of people do do stuff off the water. 
you know, for instance, rowing, rowing's a big thing in water skiing, like off, off season people row a lot. Well, are they using the proper energy systems? In other words, are they rowing for, for 30 minutes or are they rowing and doing sprints, you know, 20, 30 second sprints with 30, 30 to minute rest? And are they actually using proper rowing technique? So that's one thing that we offer with the, with the method is twice monthly, you can send us videos through the GiveGo app. GiveGo's starting to become a big thing. My buddy Willie Ford started GiveGo and it's a phenomenal app. And so twice a month included with the FlowPoint method, you get to send us videos. If it's wow. the off season like wow. right now, you can send Jenny, Jenny a video of you, your rowing technique and she'll give you 90 seconds to two minutes feedback on your technique on rowing. Most people, myself included, we don't clean right. We don't deadlift right. We don't row right. And so it's very important to have a two-way interaction. And that's what we try to offer with, with, with the, the method, with GiveGo. And we're really finding results. And we've got everybody from people who don't ski the course all the way up to, obviously, you know, Rob Hazelwood, Jamie Bull, Jason McClintock, Corey Vaughn, and others that are really getting some stuff out of the program. And so- Wow, that's intriguing, Marcus, because that give-go method, when it comes to how we learn how to change our old and our bad habits come down to how fast we can get corrected, right? If I go and I get coached by somebody and then I hit the gym all winter and I get no feedback, then I did it wrong all winter. I wasted all that time where you're saying, hey, Tyler, send me a video of you rowing and let me fix you so you don't do this wrong for the next six months. Yes. And then the next, the next part of that puzzle, the most important part is every move in the gym, no matter what the movement is, translates to something that you can do on the water or something that you can do better on the water. So the theory, and I believe this is a very valid theory, we believe with the method, if you can move better in the gym, whether it's a movement you think you're doing good or not, if we can get you to move better, so quality over quantity, if you can improve your quality of movement in the gym where there's no 400 horsepower boat pulling on you where the ground that you're standing on is not moving in a controlled environment you have a in, in the rep the rep scheme is much higher you can do how many pulls on a rower in in a in a in a five minute workout or how many how many you know uh, deadlifts can you do you can do a lot more deadlifts than you can in one day than you can passes in a week on the water so that's where you can really learn how to use your body and, and quality of movement counts in the gym, and that quality of movement translates to better skiing. So our, our theory, and we've kind of proved this concept, if you can learn to move better in the gym throughout all these different movements, throughout all these different balance uh, uh, modalities, you will get better on the water without changing anything technically. Wow. That, and that, and that's, that's just the lowest hanging fruit that we see is better quality movement in the gym translates to better skiing because you'll have more available moves and you'll be able to recover better out of a bad position on the water. Next thing you know, your toughest pass isn't your toughest pass anymore because when you're normally out of position, now that position is actually comfortable and you can recover into your better, your, your stance that you want to get to before you get to the first whitewater. Next thing you know, you're, you're running passes that you never ran before simply because you've focused on sports specific training and quality of movement over quantity of reps. Well, well, the whole concept I absolutely love. And it looks like, Marcus, I mean, why I think it's so important to go down to the core belief and the philosophy behind everything you're doing is 
typically things that are built to last have that. And this is exactly what that has. It has that core philosophy, the beliefs to challenge those beliefs and, and become a better skier all the way around. We have seen scores increase throughout the sport for the last, you know, since the conception of the sport. What do you think and what would you like to see if you took a young athlete, let's say 10, 15 years old, juniors coming up the ranks, I would think the introduction to the, uh, the flow point method into their skiing, we could see some crazy things happen with world records, some evolutions in the sport we never thought possible because we've never simply taken this approach where you can do so many things to help the sport and help you have fun and, and be safe and the longevity of your career. I mean, the, the time that we're talking about at the beginning of the episode of the, the 80s and the 90s, a lot of those skiers didn't make it past 30 years old. I mean, there was just such a hard sport on their body. Now we're seeing uh, through other developments that skiers can go into 45, 50 years old at the professional level. But yep. you introduce this to someone really young. You get it ingrained into them that, hey, look, you can ski for a very long time. It's not like the sport of football where you may have a couple of years you might be able to push this into your 60s and 70s and be perfectly fine. That's what I see with something like this. Now, we all know that the professional athlete, we all put their body at risk and, and there's always the potential for injuries and stuff like that. But the sustainability of the amount of talent that uh, would be under a method like this, I would just see that increasing their longevity in the sport for decades, literally. Yeah, well, that that's the hope, right? And this is a living, breathing thing. It's always evolving. We're we're getting better each year, each month, um, with what we're trying to offer and our approach. So yes, I, I, that's the hope. If we can keep this thing going, if we can continue to grow it, we've got uh, a junior program right now. So we've got a discounts for juniors. We've got uh, we give certain couples. We're giving some discounts. We we we're trying to get a collegiate program going asap because we want to branch out into these different segments not just focus on the folks who, who, you know, who the early adopters, but focus on people of throughout the whole spectrum of the sport, because like you said, it's a two-way street. We're learning from every member we have, but also we want to grow this thing into something that can help elevate the sport, you know, not just at the, you know, at the elite level, at the amateur level, not just the, the, the scores, the scores are awesome. And I, I believe I believe wholeheartedly there's going to be a woman that's going to run 41 off soon at some point in the next, in the next year or two, dare I say, whether it's Regina or somebody else, I'm not sure. But at the, at the men's level, you're going to start seeing 41 off go down at the, at the elite level more often. And it's going to, there's different ways to do it. Like you see a Nate Smith versus Adam Caldwell. And I obviously come from the Adam Caldwell mold. That's how I used to ski, maybe not quite as, as um, dynamic, but I was a little over the top as far as how hard I was turning. And I was probably not lined up with my body as much as I could have been. Caldwell's a little bit better in that department, but still there's different ways to skin the cat. We're trying to find the most efficient way to skin the cat and propagate that out to the most skiers in the simplest way possible through an app on their phone or through an interaction on a you know Zoom call that we get to have twice monthly with our members because we really want uh, people to enjoy the sport. We know proficiency, increased proficiency, meaning becoming a better skier, usually equals increased fun. 
increased enjoyment. You know, when you're learning something, it's kind of fun because it's a new feeling, but it kind of sucks because you see your friends who are better and you're like, why can't I be that good? You know, so as you get better, you become more proficient at something. We know that the fun factor goes up and then your, your willingness to turn around and reach back and help others learn the sport, uh, that willingness grows. And pretty soon you got people who are helping grow the sport. But I guess the last thing I'll say is my sneaky hope with Flowpoint Method is that we're actually using water skiing as the carrot, as the rabbit in the dog race. Everybody's in the dog race. We're using the Flowpoint Method as the rabbit to get people to actually just want to take better care of themselves, to want to think about the world a little bit differently and to be open to a transformation of their, of their human body and their human soul through the process of, yeah, you want to be a better skier. But when you look back, hopefully after a year or two or three of doing the method, you realize that you've, you're eating better. You're actually taking care of your body. You're working out a little bit more. You're working out better and smarter. You've got some mindset stuff that you've implemented, some breathing protocol or some meditation stuff that you never thought you'd do. And you're actually skiing better. So suddenly you thought your whole goal was to become a better skier. But in actuality, hopefully at the end of your flow point method, you know, year, and, you, and you, you're thinking about signing up again, you're like, I'm a better human being. I feel better. I look better. I'm, I'm better to my family and my friends because I just put myself through this program that, you know, may, gave me the tools to take matters into my own hands. And that's, that's kind of what we're doing. So well, Marcus, I mean, it, I mean, this has been a, an unbelievable episode. It has been amazing to get to catch up with you. I mean, every time I see a Flowpoint TV or I get to listen to an interview that you have, I learn a ton and I've learned a ton here today. And I want the listeners out there, I know there's going to be listeners that are going to want to get in touch with you about the Flowpoint method or coaching or whatever's going on. Where can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, uh, flowpointmethod.com is the website. And you can hit us up there, shoot us an email or, or leave us a comment. Uh, reach out if you want to ask about the actual method. Uh, we love to hear from folks. Obviously, I want to give a shout out to my, my main sponsor, HO Skis. They've been with me for a long time and they've supported. They're the reason Flowpoint TV was ever a thing. Um, Dave Wingerter, John Mommer, and the whole crew at, at, at HO that keeps the wheels turning there. They believed in me before I believed in me with that stuff. So that was that was really fun to, uh, to be able to have support from those folks and still have support. So, yeah, you know, there was one other thing I was going to say, but I can't actually remember what that was, but either way, this has been a joy, dude. This has been fun. Yeah, dude, this has been, man, we took a journey here today on this podcast and I think everybody's going to enjoy it. And it, it, for those that can't see what we're seeing over this podcast, you're actually on the mountain right there. Yeah, I'm on the mountain. So I just skied with a buddy you might know, Lee Sheldrake. Yeah, Lago. Lee, man. So when we were talking about good tournament water skiers in Colorado, Lee Sheldrake was one of those guys. Yeah, Lee Sheldrake, dude. He was, he was a legend. Back in the 90s, he was skiing the Pro Tour. Yeah. And, uh, at Little now, little Soda, I think he was training at back in the day. Um, I don't even know like, who's skiing out there these days in Little Soda. but I don't think anybody. He was just talking about it. But he's actually going to be running a water ski school potentially up he said up in this area uh, okay come come this summer so keep an eye open for that but yeah sheldrake he was a, he was a great skier good friend we just made some turns it, it snowed eight inches here in colorado and then i i came down to to get on the on the call with you here 
So well, yeah, real quick, while you're out on the mountain and we're talking about turns, that famous video you posted behind um well you're getting pulled by what do you what 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 is going on because you're on a are you on a slalom ski in the snow i was on a ho free ride evo uh, okay. on the snow behind a snowmobile the snowmobile yeah, yeah. and oh, in board shorts in board shorts and a vest and you know no 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 boot on the back yeah it was it was great my, it, my it, big... was that a, was that a time that you were like i wish i would have had the spray leg at least yeah, you know why? Because uh, I've told the story before, but I we we waited till the end of the day, and so that top layer it was like a foot of powder, but the top layer had hardened in the sun all day, so it was like like spray leg times a million. It was unbelievable. Like I I I I, I think I still have some scars on my back leg from that, but um, but that was fun. I want to do that again. I want to try to do it better. Well, that's awesome. Marcus, thanks so much for your time. I know you're a busy dude and um, man, dude, good luck to you in the flow point method. We can't wait to see where that goes and where, where the sport's going next with that. So thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, thank you, dude. I will say one last thing. I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate getting to hear the familiar voice on the webcast at masters and other events. And uh, I think again, if we look at water skiing, when you say the term water skiing, everybody thinks, a skier behind a boat but i think when you when you really get down to it water skiing is it's it's this whole thing it's going around buoys it's um camaraderie community it's everybody that it takes the officials the announcers the 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 you know the the boat manufacturers the ski it's everybody it takes it takes a village to create this thing we call water skiing and i think at the end of the day we're going to come out ahead as, as a collective body, if we just remember that it's not about any one score, it's not about who be two, it's about allowing this thing that we choose to do every day, every week, every month, every year, allowing that thing to transform us some way. I don't know how that, I don't know what that transformation means for anybody else but me. I'm, every day I'm trying to learn what that transformational process means to me, but I think that's what it's all about. It's trying to come out the other side, the end of the year, the end of the career or whatever else of water skiing, come out the other side, a different person than you were, and hopefully a little bit more well-rounded person. Awesome. So, awesome. That's well, incredible stuff. Cool. Well, Marcus, man, you need to get back out there on the slopes and uh, we'll catch up again, buddy. Right on. Thanks, Tyler. I appreciate this time, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for listening and come back to catch future episodes as we chat with water ski legends and current stars of each of the sports disciplines as we celebrate the 100th anniversary of water skiing. Thanks again to our sponsor, Visit Central Florida. We'll see you next time.